Please remain standing as we read the Word of God. Our reading today comes from Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 37. And then we'll finish with verse 50. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man from Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Galgatha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Finally, we've arrived in the New Testament to see these glories of God. While you're turning there, let's also go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, it is not by our own sight that we can behold your Son, the Lamb of God, who is wrapped up on the cross for our sins, Godhood. If it is of our own eyes and of our own strength and of our own faith, We cannot see it, God. We think we can do it ourselves, but God, we need you to give us spiritual eyes to see the glory of your Son come down to be with us and to dwell with us in the flesh and to live live the life we think we can live, but we fall woefully short day after day after day. God, give us these eyes to see the glory of your Son and let us behold the Lamb who is slain. Amen. Let me tell you about my first girlfriend. We met when we were joyful and and naive and 
this smooth hair that kind of went down and it bobbed out at the ends. It kind of bounds as she walked or as, as we were going runs. And, and you're so young at that point in time of, of life when you're, so, you're just joyfully naive of life and all that is before us. And I even remember our first date, we went out and she was so nervous that she just ate a salad. That's all she could that's all she could eat because she was so nervous. And when before we went out on that first date, we had a picture taken by a lamppost. And I must confess to you, maybe once or twice a year, it's in an old Bible that I got in my youth. And I'll pull the picture out. And I'll look at it. And just wonder, what is she doing now? Where is she? Then, I hear six kids running down the hall. And I know exactly what she is doing. She's getting ready to deal with six kids that just ran down the hall. You see, my first girlfriend is my first wife. And my first wife is my current wife. I got some evil looks from some of the ladies here, by the way. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it is good to have the whole picture, isn't it? Finally now, we've made it to the New Testament after months of, of wandering through the Israelites, through the Old Testament, seeing their sorrowful uh, inability to live up to God's standards. And the way we rightfully place ourselves in those and know that we are wandering ourselves and that we too woefully cannot live up to the standards of God. So we will see here, brothers and sisters, of all of this, all of this has been building up to this moment. And we will see that Christ is King. And Christ is king over all. And this this might sound elementary to you. Okay, Christ is king. Great. I learned about that in Phil G's Sunday school class. You know, ding, ding. Uh, but here, and it's not that we just can't relate to being under a king here in the West, especially in America. We, it's not that we just can't relate to being under a king. We actually are over here, and we think that we aren't under any authority whatsoever. We just go move a step further and we go, I got my second amendment. I'm good. I don't need a king. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I can take care of it myself. But what scripture will show you is that it is good to be under a good and gracious king, a good sovereign king. In the same way that it is good for a young girl they have a brother who can crack some skulls and watch out over her. His brothers can go places mom and dad can't go. And it's good to have that brother. And the same way it is good for a wife to be under a strong leading husband. In the same way, it is good and it is a gift of God. That the citizens of this eternal kingdom, if you are in Christ, of which you are, are under this good and gracious sovereign king. So, we don't approach this text through the lens of the Second Amendment and see, oh, okay, that might be something that, 
you know, the Eastern world can relate to. No, no, this is for all of God's people that we see this is a good and gracious gift. That we are under the authority of this eternal king who will watch over his people. So how are we going to see this? All right, so first we're going to see that one, he is rejected by men. This king, this eternal king who has come down, one, we're going to see he's rejected by men. After that, we're going to see that he is not only rejected by men, but he actually suffers for you. And then finally, we'll see that he was raised, and he was raised to the glory of God. Let's go back to the text here, and uh, let's just do verses 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his clothes back on him, and led him away to crucify him. Now without Christ... Everything that's been building up into this moment is without purpose or it's without substance. And so this, this, it's beautiful that this, this book of Matthew, we're able to, to captivate ourselves. And so Matthew brings us in as we've been wandering through all of this Old Testament, seeing how everything is pointing to Christ. Matthew just cuts deep, deep into that. And so he's writing deliberately, I think it's, the first gospel written. And he's writing deliberately to a Jewish audience. And he's telling them, the Messiah has come. This one who was always to come, he now has come. And so he starts with the genealogy, which is why Sam so amazingly saying it. And so many kings... What they'll do is that they'll go to great lengths to root themselves in, in these uh, powers of, of antiquity. But they can't really do it. So you have uh, Alexander the Great. He's only able to go to his grandfather, or his father actually, who's the king of Mesopotamia. Um, or the, the Medos. And then even uh, Remus and Romulus. What they're able to do, all that they're able to do is go up to their grandfather. And then part of their story is also that they were nursed by a she-wolf. And that is how they're able to root their authority. But none of them, none of them can go all the way back to Abraham, this one that was plucked out of Ur, who God had set aside and said that you and you alone are going to be the one through whom this great nation shall be founded. Kings can have their claim, but none of them can go back to that. So by doing this, Matthew is able to show that Jesus Christ is not just some political upstart candidate who's won a primary, and now he's going to go on to political glory. No, no, no. It's rooted in the promises of God that have been coming forth even as before Adam and Eve left the garden. So you will see that these, these, these promises here of Christ are rooted throughout 
all of it. And which is why I kind of appreciate the Gospels as we're going to be spending a couple of weeks going through them now. So everything, it's like you got your game and you got your pre-game and everything is building up to it. And that's the Old Testament. But then you have your actual game. That's the Gospels. Then you got your post game, the rest of the New Testament, where they kind of say, well, these are the implications of what happened in the game and who won and who lost. And so right now, we have these weeks, which is the gem of what's going on throughout all of human history is focused in and very well encapsulated in these three or four Gospels here. So Matthew, what he's doing is pulling out all of these fulfillments. You, so you, you've talked about it with the genealogy that Christ is the promised son and he's the fulfillment of this Abrahamic promise that has come. But he's not only that, he's the promised son that would come from Bethlehem who will rule over his people. Not as a tyrant, as most kings seek out to enrich themselves. No, 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 this, this king who comes, we see in Micah 5 will come and lead his people as a shepherd. You see also from Hosea 11 that he will be called out of Egypt, that he will be called a Nazarene, that he is the one chosen from, from God to bring about this kingdom of God, pulling out from Isaiah chapter 40. And even where he begins his ministry, in Capernaum, the city, is in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then his ministry begins. And you have this water and baptism and this, this wilderness wandering. And you see that Christ is the true fulfillment of Isaiah. But then he goes up the mountain and gives this sermon on the mount. So he's not just the true, the true uh, Israel, but now he's also the true Moses, who's the one delivering the law of God of how we shall live. So what you have in Matthew is not this the way usually approached it is that you find all of these cool verses that are from the Old Testament and then you just you you know you love the Old Testament so you try to make all of these connections that's not really what's happening here as Christ is calling us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand throughout Matthew what he's showing us is that the kingdom of heaven is coming down and recklessly invading the earth and it will not be stopped. So he's coming and he's rescuing captive souls. And bringing them home to glory through the work of Christ. And this king of this eternal kingdom has forsaken everything to come down and be with his people. So it's our prayer that God would see, or God would remove the scales from our eyes, that we would see our King in a new way. It's been Adam and I's prayer for you guys throughout the week, that you would have a true vision of what it is to behold the King of Heaven. Let's come down. So what does it look like? Well, they've already ordered, received orders to crucify Him. And Christ is gone. He's gone from the Last Supper to the Garden, to Annas, to Caiaphas, to Pilate, to Herod, now back to Pilate. And he's among the people. And Pilate's saying, what shall I do then with this Jesus who is called Christ? And the people are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Pilate says, 
What crime has he committed? Crucify him, crucify him. But, but he's innocent. And then they say, let his blood be on us and our children. little side note. Josephus denotes that in that very place, their children did shed their blood. Their children were crucified by the Romans. So now he's handed over to the guards. And the bloodlust of the people crying out, crucify him, crucify him, is now matched by the belittling of the soldiers. We see here in verse 27, that they all gather together, a whole battalion, as it was prophesied that they would encircle him. Go to Psalm 22, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Then in verse 28, they strip him down and just completely humiliate him of any dignity that he might have. And then they mockingly put on this scarlet robe upon him, probably from one of the officers. And everything that humanity strives for, this scarlet robe is mockingly put upon him. Verse 29, then they twist, twist together this crown of thorns. Now it's, it's spring there, so it's probably not the dry thorns like we so easily and readily see in our minds. But it's, it's probably a fresh green plant with some thorns on it. So it's, it's got some leaves. It's like this laurel wreath that they're putting upon him that the kings and all these conquering generals would wear. And they put it off upon him. And you see his face there is besmeared with blood. And on, on this note, Clement of Alexandria writes, It is absurd, is it not, that we who hear that our Lord was crowned with thorns insult the venerable sufferer by crowning ourselves with flowers. And a reed is placed in his right hand, this sign of power and authority. But as if the dignity wasn't enough, they take the reed from him to show that their authority is over him and they begin to strike him on the head. And they begin to mock him. The only kind of the mocking you're able to do when you know the person has no recourse to do anything back. And the praise that is due to him is drips out of their mocking lips. And the soldiers cry out, Hail, King of the Jews. The very accolade that is due to him by all of creation drips out mockingly from these soldiers. Now at this moment you have to pause and to go back to his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And you have to say, is it true, even in this very moment, is it true that those who are poor in spirit are blessed? Because when you were on the mountain, that's what you were saying. Is that true in this moment? Is it still true, given these circumstances, that the meek shall inherit the earth? Is it true, Christ, that you are blessed at this time 
When others are reviling you and persecuting you and speaking all sorts of evil against you falsely. Is it true? Would you count yourself blessed in these circumstances? Brothers and sisters, the circumstances around our lives are never so great nor so daunting that they might alter the truth and the promises of God. Alright, so we've seen that we have a good, and it is good, to be under a benevolent, sovereign king. And we have this king who comes down from heaven, he reigns over all of earth, but he is mocked and he is beaten by men of the kingdom of the earth. You see this war, this raging war going on between the two kingdoms. Same war that goes on in your heart. But for whom is all of this taking place? Let's go back to our text here. Verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon, by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place named Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves uh, by casting lots, and they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Go down to verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The mocking hasn't stopped, brothers and sisters. The mocking hasn't stopped, but the procession of our king must go on. It's going along this Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, the path of suffering, the sorrowful way as it is. And this is the procession to his throne of glory, which is a cross of agony. And now, now crucifixion, it predated the Romans, but as with the Romans, they take whatever they can and they perfect it. And then they do it in mass. So, so crucifixion probably, nobody really knows for sure, but it probably goes back to even the Persians. You get to the Assyrians and they're not going to bother persecuting you. They're before the, the Persians. They're just going to put a pike and set you upon it. And that's your crucifixion. So the, the crucifixion, is, we see it with Christ with the hands out, tied or nailed down, is likely, maybe, begins with the Persians. And so what you would do... The Romans would have them, and, and the, the vertical post would already be in the ground, and you would carry the, the horizontal one that you'd be tied on, and you would carry it through the streets. Basically a way of digging your own grave. And people are able to come out and mock you, and you are able to profess then your guilt to everyone around you. But our king... He's not only a king of eternal kings, but he's also a fully man. And here he is. It's night has begun in the upper room, and he's gone through the garden where he asks for the will of God to be done. And he's gone, and he's brought from place to place, debate to place to place. He's been up all night, standing at his trial. He's emotionally drained. He's had no food. His friends have abandoned him. And here he is, cross, carrying this beam along the Via Della Rosa. Through Jerusalem. So if you're a Roman, you can't let your, your, your trophy die on the way. No, so you get some poor guy, Simon, hey, you, carry this. And then you say yes, and then you carry it. 
And so that's how Simon gets brought into this. And then among the men, the hard-hearted men that are mocking him, spitting on him as he goes through the city. You hear the soft-hearted women weeping for him as they line his way. And here he is like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Brothers and sisters, as you walk along the way, be ready at a moment's notice to pick up the cross of Christ and carry it the rest of the way. And you see here that as we go on, the Bible, it has, it's perfected the understatement the Bible has. Uh, like, in the beginning, God created everything. This profound statement just very simply stated. Or you uh, you get to, to Joshua, and the walls fell flat, you know, of, Jer- of uh, Jericho. And you go, no, 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 that's pretty amazing. Tell me more about it. But that's all you know is that they fell and they fell flat. Same thing here. You have this incredibly understated by Matthew. And it says, and when they had crucified him. Incredibly understated. And then they, what did they do? But then they divided his garments among themselves by casting lots. So grammatically, Matt's not even, Matthew's not even highlighting the fact that he's, he's crucified in the process of it. No, he's tying in these fulfillments from the Old Testament, bringing in again Psalm 22 when, when the, the, the psalmist writes that they divided my garments among themselves and for my clothing they cast lots here. But there's no understating the fact that it was the will of God that Christ should suffer and that he would die. And speaking more than they could ever realize, they put this plaque above him and that is written, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now it's meant not only to insult and mock Christ, but also the Jewish people to tell them, this is your King. But they, they say, no, 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 no. We want nothing to do with the suffering King. He is not our King. Take it down. He's not our King. No, you guys are nothing, Pilate says. I'm going to keep it up there. Then Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice he yielded up his spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is your king. His coronation, his thorns, his enthronement is upon the cross. The cries of adulation welcoming him in are the cries of crucify him, crucify him. He has led both the scorn of the world and the delight of his heavenly Father. So let me tell you this. If you are of the kingdom of heaven, you will search in vain. You will search in vain for the applause of men of this earth. Don't even try it. You'll shipwreck your faith in doing so, and we've seen it many times. So he's mocked and he's rejected by men. And he's abandoned by those who have promised to give their own lives to follow him. And then he is crucified by those who serve not the kingdom of heaven again, but the kingdom of men. Now most kings, what they won't do is let someone unworthy in their presence. But Christ, he's not he actively comes down. It's not as though he's even sitting here and passively lets someone who's unworthy come into his, his presence. No, he actively comes down into their presence and comes into the people and not only just mingles about them, but he actually serves them. And then he's not just only serves them, but he actually gives his life as a ransom for them. 
See, and then Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Your bondage of Christ and his death, that is where your freedom is found. But as we said in the beginning, it's nice to know the whole story. Go next chapter here, chapter twenty-eight. Go to uh, go to verse five here. But when the angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. For he is not here; he is risen. Praise be to God." As he said, come and see the place where he lay. You doubt me? Well, come. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Beloved, you beheld your king as he was racked up upon the cross. Well, now look at your king. Oh, it's a different story. He just didn't die in our place, but your king is reigning and he is ruling forever. See, the kings, they will reign and they will end for two reasons. Either they're defeated or they die. But our sovereign king will never be defeated and he's conquered death. So we know that he will reign and he will rule forever and ever. So what do we do then? What do we do with our lives? How does the Spirit of Christ move in us? Not, how do we burden ourselves to do more? But no, how does the Spirit of Christ, knowing this text, how does the Spirit of Christ move in us to make this alive in us this week? Well, we thought about it much in the office. But it's already given to us. Go to the end of the chapter. In Matthew 28. Start in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, make it your life's endeavor to spread the life-giving news of our eternal King. With, with great zeal, they would cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Well, let our zeal be unmatched. That we say, yes, he was crucified, but he was risen and he will reign forever. But not only that, he's going to come back again to redeem those captive souls. So brothers and sisters, this behold your king. Come and pay homage to him. Bow down and worship him. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father God, you are holy and you are just and you have grace and mercy that abounds. And we have no idea how these various things all fit together. But we know that through your son, they do. That your justice was satisfied on that cross and your grace is poured out through him to your people, us. So God, as we come and partake of your son's meal and partake of him spiritually, God, enliven our hearts to sing and to see that we have a king 
who didn't come to enrich themselves, but he came to give of himself and give his life for us. God, let us come, continue in our worship towards him. Amen. Amen.